Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 4 as we jump back into our Power Today series. So excited about it. And uh, we come to a very relevant passage. It's a passage that deals with the subject of persecution. Throughout the centuries, Christians have been persecuted. The first 300 years of the existence of Christianity, there were 10 waves of persecution. As some Christians were sewn into animal skins and fed to wild dogs, others were dressed in clothing covered in wax and attached to poles and used as torches. Through the years, Christians have experienced horrible torture and abuse, having been imprisoned, placed on the rack, boiled in oil, burned, filleted, and beheaded. But the greatest persecution of Christians in terms of numbers has not happened or did not happen during the Roman Empire More Christians were martyred for their faith in the last century than in the previous 19 combined. In fact, last year in the world, listen to these stats, Open Door USA reported over 340 million Christians are living in places where they experienced high levels of persecution and discrimination. 4,761 Christians were killed for their faith. 4,488 churches and other Christian buildings were burned. We know some of those pastors. 4,277 believers were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. That's why Acts chapter 4 is so relevant for us today. Because in this passage, we have recorded for us the first persecution of Christians. And before we look at Acts 4, I just want to remind you that Jesus warned his followers that they would be persecuted. In John chapter 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. This is straight talk from our Savior. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Jesus said we should expect persecution. What happens when a person is walking with the Lord? Their life displays a righteousness. It displays a godliness. It displays a supernatural wisdom that convicts people around them. And the response is persecution. Paul echoed the words of Jesus in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
You say, oh, wait a minute, John, I'm a Christian and I don't, I've never been persecuted. Read it again. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you're able to live your life and never encounter any kind of persecution, maybe you should ask what kind of Christian life you're living. Because if you live in a way that God wants you to live, you will be persecuted. As Trevin Wax put it, when we say we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus, we must remember what happened to the hands and feet of Jesus. With that as a backdrop, I want us to look at Acts chapter 4. Remember as we come to chapter 4 that in chapter 3, which is the setup for what we're going to read today, Peter and John going up to the temple at the time of prayer see a man who has been lame since birth, and they say, silver and gold we do not have, but what we have we give you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, and the man is miraculously healed. Then Peter proceeds to preach a masterful message. It was a simple message. It was a straightforward message. He told them they killed the Messiah. They killed the author of life. They needed to repent. And as we look at Acts chapter 4 in verses 1 through 13, we see the result is salvation and persecution. The result is people are going to get saved, but Peter and John are going to be persecuted along with the disciples. And as we look at this passage, what I want you to notice is I want you to notice six things about Peter and John's response. And I want to frame them for you as six resolutions every believer should make. We're at the start of the year, good time for resolutions. These are six resolutions every single believer should make. And here's why it's important. Because if you don't stand for something, you will fall for everything. If you don't know what you're about, if you don't have anything you're convinced of, if you don't have any convictions, if you don't have any principles that you say, this is what my life will be like, you will not stand for Jesus. Resolution number one, I will not fear opposition. That's a good one, isn't it? Turn to your neighbor and say, I will not be afraid of opposition. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests, and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. Now, when you're reading the gospel record, and Acts is a continuation of Luke's gospel, you'll find there are two groups of people in the Judaism of Jesus' day who oppose Jesus, and one of them is listed here, the Sadducees. The other is the Pharisees. The word Pharisee means separated ones. They would be considered more theologically conservative, but that didn't make them right. And I throw that in because sometimes people think if you're theologically conservative, you're right. That's not necessarily true. There are some people who are like the Pharisees. They're theologically conservative, but they've reduced their relationship and their service to God to rules by which they evaluate how they're doing in serving God. 
That's what the Pharisees did. They had 613 rules, one for every letter that was in the Ten Commandments. Rules and traditions that defined every activity. It was a massive burden they placed on the people. They were the legalists. And then there were the Sadducees. You could call them the ultra-liberals. They controlled the priesthood in Judaism. They were few in number, they were exceptionally wealthy, and they were very corrupt. They made their money by charging exorbitant rates for the sacrificial animals that the worshipers coming in from all over the Roman world would have to pay because they couldn't bring their animals with them. They stayed in power by bribing the Romans. They had little use for scripture. Unlike the Pharisees who, who embraced all of the Old Testament, the Sadducees embraced just the fir five, first five books of the Bible. They didn't believe in an afterlife. They didn't believe in heaven. They didn't believe in a resurrection. And that is why they were sad, you see. Some of you are waiting for that. You're welcome. Okay, here we go. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Look at this. There's the priests, there's the captain of the temple guard, and there's the Sadducees, and they came upon them. That, that literally means they burst in on them. Why? Verse 2. Greatly annoyed. Why are they annoyed? Because they don't believe in the resurrection. What is Peter and John? What are Peter and John preaching? The resurrection. They didn't like Jesus. What are Peter and John talking about? Jesus. They didn't like the miracles of Jesus. What are Peter and John doing? They're doing miracles in Jesus' name. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. What I want you to notice is the gospel will annoy people. Now the key is don't be annoying. It doesn't, the fact the gospel annoys people doesn't give any of us the right to be annoying. Peter and John aren't in trouble because they're annoying. They are in trouble because the people were annoyed by the gospel. When you preach the gospel, when you talk the gospel, there will be people who view it as intolerant. They will view it as harmful. They will view it as bigoted. They will view it as narrow. They will view it as a fairy tale. And when the gospel is declared, understand this, the devil will attack. You have to expect opposition. Don't be surprised. When you're living out the gospel and you're sharing the gospel, not everybody is going to like what you're saying. But Peter did not let that stop him. You can be sure it was not a popular message in his day, and yet, watch the response, but many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000 besides women and children. I mean, the church is growing. But notice, those who heard believe. People have to hear to believe. 
We have to be willing to tell them the gospel. We have to be willing to share the good news. We have to be willing to speak it. And by the way, when I, when I see this, they heard and they believed. It reminds me of that little plaque. And I bring this up because I think too many people are fooled into silence because of it. You know, it's attributed, they say, to St. Francis of Assisi. We have no record that he ever said it. But it's that little plaque that says, preach the gospel always when necessary, use words. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> the gospel is words. To preach the gospel, you have to use words. You have to tell the story of Jesus. If, if nobody says anything, very few people are going to get saved. You say, oh, well, it's saying just live the life. Yes, live the life. But a part of living the life is preaching the gospel with your mouth, with your lips. It's telling people the good news of Jesus. Peter boldly spoke the truth. It was a difficult truth. It was a convicting truth. But it changed the hearts of people. You know what stops a lot of people from sharing the gospel? They think they know what's going on in somebody else's heart. Listen, none of us can read another person's heart. I don't care what you say. You can't. You can't even read your own heart. The Bible says the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17. But a lot of times what happens is we're fooled by the facade of people. We think they'd never be interested when they're dying to hear the truth. We think that they're cold as ice when God has been working on their heart for a long, long time. We think that, that they'll have animosity when in fact they're going to become one of the greatest evangelists the world has ever seen. Listen, we, we've got to give the gospel to everyone because everyone deserves an opportunity to hear it. You know, I wonder how many more people would be saved if only Christians were bold enough to share the gospel. Instead of giving in to worrying about what other people think or afraid they'll be ostracized or made fun of or be persecuted, the earliest Christians saw they, they ignited the Roman world on fire with the gospel because they had the tenacity to say, we will not fear opposition. We're going to preach the gospel everywhere we go. Resolution number one. I will not fear opposition. Resolution number two, I will proclaim the resurrection. Look at it in verse two. Proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. You see it again in verse nine. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what man means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Why does he say that? It's the gospel. When he gives the answer, he's giving the gospel. When he explains a miracle, he's giving the gospel. When you and I pray for people and they're healed, share the gospel, fill the void. Whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. Can I just say the resurrection is the backbone of our theology? Without it, you have a dead Savior, and a dead Savior cannot help anyone. The resurrection tells us that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice of himself for our sin. 
God resurrected him as proof that his sacrifice was accepted. The resurrection tells us that Jesus is alive, and that is why there is power in his name. The resurrection tells us that because he lives, we too shall live also, and we don't have to fear death. The resurrection tells me I have a new life, not later. I have a new life now. In Romans 6, I've been raised with Christ to a newness of life. His resurrection power works in me, Ephesians 1. And the resurrection is the central truth of Christianity. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says this, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. In Romans chapter 10, you gotta believe the resurrection to be saved. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The resurrection. I will proclaim the resurrection. Not just at Easter. But all the other days of the year, the other 364 days of the year, we proclaim the resurrection. Amen? Number three, third resolution. I will perform signs and wonders in Jesus' name. I want to pause for a moment. That's a bold statement. I will perform signs and wonders in Jesus' name. Can you say that? You know what? There are some of you today, and as I say that, as we read that, you're like, well, I don't know whether I can really say that. Then can I tell you something is deficient in your faith and in your experience of Jesus? Because Jesus was very, very clear about this. It's bold because people don't talk about it. It's bold because people don't, it's been lost in the church. I mean, I thrill over what we're seeing happen in the church. I mean, that testimony, I mean, somebody 40 years, boom, in Jesus' name, they're healed, right? We're seeing God work in a powerful way, and we're on the beginning. I mean, there's no telling what he's gonna do. I can't wait to see, I can't wait to see what happens in 2022. Look at it in Acts chapter four. Are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel, he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ. There's power in the name of Jesus. And Jesus intends that every one of his followers would access that power for the deliverance of people around them whether it's sickness, whether it's spiritual. There's power in the name of Jesus. I mean, we looked at this thoroughly. Uh, Acts 3.16, by faith in the name of Jesus. This man whom you see and know is made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes from him that has given him complete healing. Jesus has charged every follower of Christ to perform signs and wonders in his name. Let me just quickly give you the scriptures on that. John 14, I tell you the truth. This is, this is the night Jesus is betrayed. This is the night that he's arrested. These are his last words. You have to believe a man's last words are his most important. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. 
He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name. Listen, again, don't be like the, the prescription commercials, the drug commercials, you know, that have like the fast talker who tells you, you know, you're gonna get diarrhea, stomach upset, you know, could die, you could, you know, all these crazy things. Yeah, I want that drug. I will do whatever you ask in my name, period. We're gonna read him making, we're gonna read and see five different times he makes this statement and never once qualifies it. See, here's what happens to a lot of people who don't pray with power in Jesus' name. They won't say, well, you know, no, wait, 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 wait. He didn't really mean that. Listen, this is not like, no, no, you gotta understand there's, there's the will of God and, and there's this and there's that and there's all of these disclaimers and caveats. Jesus was never bothered by just saying it and letting it stand because it's true. And the disciples, they had a whole new testament to say, now let's, let's talk about the name of Jesus and praying in the name of Jesus. Let's get this all straight. And because there's some things Jesus didn't say, but we, we, want, to sh we want you to understand he didn't really mean that. And there's a lot of caveats that are attached. They never, they never gave those. You say, but John, when I've done that, when I prayed that way, I didn't see things happen. Listen, just because you and I aren't any good at what Jesus called us to do does not give us the right to stop doing it. Just because you didn't, hey, listen, when you took your first step, did you run a race? No, you fell, but you kept walking. When you rode a bike, were you just perfect without training wheels? No, you, you, you were wobbly. You had to learn. Listen, when it comes to praying for people, there's much to learn. There's much to know. There's much to grow that God has to do inside us. That doesn't mean we wait until we think we're ready. It means we start doing it and we believe that God's gonna show up. And I found this to be true, that a lot of times when you didn't, or when I didn't think I had great faith, I, I learned later that they were healed, only to look back and say, well, apparently I had the mustard seed because there was enough to get the job done. In the name of Jesus, there is power. In the name of Jesus, there are answers. In the name of Jesus, powerful things happen. Let's not disqualify the name of Jesus or the power in his name to try to make ourselves feel better when the Bible doesn't do that. I'm sure I'm saying more than I should. Okay, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. You know, if you, it's like he says it and then people are like, I wonder if he really meant that. So he says it again. Later he says in John 15, you did not choose me, I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. There it is again. John 16, in that day you'll no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you'll receive and your joy will be complete. We were made for answered prayer. It is the key to joy. You can have joy from having your devotions or praying, or you can have joy from answered prayer. And the two are different, I'm telling you. 
I'm not saying the other isn't valuable. I'm just simply saying in the name of Jesus, asking in his name means that we're asking on behalf of what we know Jesus would want. And Jesus said this, when you pray, say this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. This is his will on earth as it is in heaven. Let's simplify it. Let's say, listen, let's pray. Let's believe that, that, that people, God wants to set them free, that God wants to heal, that God wants to bless people, that God wants to work. Let's believe there's power in Jesus' name. Acts chapter eight. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. How did the miracles come? The name of Jesus. And then they wanted to know who this Jesus was. And when they heard who he was and what he did, they were saved, they were baptized, and the place was filled with joy. I will perform signs and wonders in Jesus' name. We're not doing it at the level it will happen. We're doing it at the level where we start. And it's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. I have a list of all these different testimonies. We're, we're not having to make up a bunch of stories for you. We can tell them to you every single week. In Jesus' name, there's healing. It is the one thing in a post-Christian world that will validate the veracity and the reality of the gospel. Yeah. Signs and wonders are important to God because they validate and authenticate his word. Yeah. Number four, I will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at it, verse three. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Who is this? This is the Jewish Supreme Court. 70 elders, plus the high priests. They're the ones who make the laws. They're the ones who run the country under the Roman governor. Annas, the high priest, was there. He was corrupt as all get out. The, the, where Jesus turned the tables over, that was called Annas Bazaar. So he owned all the temple concessions, was a crook. Paid off the Romans. When they removed him from the high priesthood, he paid them off so his son-in-law, Caiaphas, could run it. These are corrupt people. Annas the high priest was there, so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before him and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Now I want you to put yourself in their, their shoes. Here they are, they're uneducated. These are the big shots. These are not only the Supreme Court, they're the religious brain trust, and now it's 70 against two. These are the people who had Jesus crucified. The stakes could not be higher than Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. And with that, 
Peter, an uneducated man, will give a bold witness to the Jewish Supreme Court. How is that possible? He was filled with the Spirit. Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 10. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. The power of the Holy Spirit, very clear. Peter, fill with the Spirit. But beyond that, let me just say Acts 1.8, because I think this is a, a real key issue, especially for Pentecostal churches. You'll receive power, Jesus talking, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses. Now, I love the fellowship, the assemblies of God. I'm credentialed with them. But... I think we've done a disservice to the whole cause of evangelism because we've inserted in here subtly, but you'll speak in tongues when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Yeah. We've made tongues, I believe in tongues, but we've made tongues the evidence of being filled with the Spirit when Jesus says the evidence is you'll have power to witness. In Jerusalem, the person right across the street. In Judea, the person in the neighborhood over there. In Samaria, the place where you work, the uttermost parts of the world. Listen, I've met too many people who say they talk in tongues, but they're not bold enough to go across the street and talk to their neighbor. Something's wrong. You say, are you saying I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit? I'm not saying that. I'm saying you're not full to overflowing. I'm saying you have some, but not enough. You have some, but not what you need. And too many people stop because they speak in a prayer language when really the litmus test is they should be able to go witness. And if you're afraid to witness to your neighbor, if you're afraid to witness at work, if you're afraid to witness anywhere you go, which is what the early church did, then you have to come to the conclusion you're not as full of the Holy Spirit as you ought to be. You say, what do I do? Well, then you just need to ask God, God, I'm not as full as I ought to be. I thought I was full because I spoke in a prayer language, but obviously I'm not as full as I need to be. So God, please fill me, right? I mean, this is, I mean, I don't write it. I only explain it, right? And tongues isn't in there. Power is. I'm all for the initial physical evidence, but I am also completely for the ultimate evidence. The ultimate evidence is power, power to witness, power to do signs and wonders. A life is power. Here's what happens. When we get away from this, then you have people in Pentecostal churches who think the baptism of the Holy Spirit is no big deal. Why? Because they haven't seen power. And if you haven't seen power, you haven't seen a full baptism. You need power. I need power. We need power. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 24, they raise their voices. So after they meet with the, the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court has threatened them and said, listen, it's going to go bad for you if you say any more about Jesus. They pray. They say, Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth to see and everything in them. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Listen, if you can't go across the street to witness to your neighbor, you need to pray this prayer. 
Because the heart of Christianity is we evangelize. That's what we do. In the Acts chapter 8, verse 4, and, and the church was scattered, and they went everywhere preaching the word. That's what they did. That's who we are. That's what we're about. We're about sharing Christ. If you can't share Christ, you need to be filled with the Spirit. You say, I'm full of the Spirit. If you can't share Christ, you're not full enough. I'm saying don't settle for something less than the Bible says we ought to have, right? Enable your servants to speak the word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders. That's part of it too. Through the name of your servant, Jesus, your holy servant. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. If Peter was filled on the day of Pentecost, Peter's filled in front of the Supreme Court. After meeting with the Supreme Court, Peter's like drained. He's gotta be filled again. How much more do you and I need to be constantly, continually refilled with the power of the Holy Spirit? A resolution to make in 2022 is, I will be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a wonderful resolution. Number five, are you with me? Yes. Another resolution. I will tell people that Jesus is the only way to be saved. There's not very many amens on that. It's safe you can agree in, this, in the four walls here. Acts 4 verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Not can be saved, not one of the ways to get saved, not, hey, you ought to think about it to get saved. There's only one name, yeah. Yeah. only one way. No other world religion will get you to heaven, period. I, I know as I say that, I know what it does especially to people younger than me. People older than me, you're all like, yay. <laughs> then the meter goes like this. The younger you are, the, the less you're like, I can't believe he's saying that. Doesn't he know you're not supposed to say that? Doesn't he know that offends people? Doesn't he know that that's not in a pluralistic society? I mean, we don't do, we don't talk like that. We gotta get back. To the basics. This is basic. Pluralistic society or no, here we are. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's the only way. You say, well, I, I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's Peter though. Okay, let's listen to Jesus. Jesus said to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, period. Very, very straightforward. Now, let me just say this. So, you know, for the people older than me, in case you didn't know it, people don't like it when you say Jesus is the only way to heaven. Our world says you can't say your truth or your religion is the one right religion. They will tell us, if you want to reach a secular audience and not offend people, you have to say that all religions are equally valid and just encourage people to try Jesus. 
But there are some problems with that thinking. First of all, when Peter said that, and when Jesus said that, there were all kinds of temples, all kinds of gods, all kinds of religions, and Jesus' claim and Peter's claim would be as outrageous in their day as it is in ours. Second, when people say today, you can follow Jesus, but just don't claim he's better than Muhammad or Moses or Buddha, because all religions are ways to God. Here's what they're saying. They're saying, I have a correct view of God. All religions are equal, and you must adopt my view and abandon your view. And when somebody does that, you know what they're doing to you? They are evangelizing you. They are trying to convert you to their point of view. And that is exactly what they're telling you as a Christian you can't do. The only difference is they won't admit it that that's what they're doing, which is the height of hypocrisy. You could have given me like a standing ovation and that would have been a really good place. I know it's snowy and it's cold. Listen, it's hypocrisy. Don't tell me all roads lead to religion and I have to keep quiet. You're trying to convert me to your view. You're trying to evangelize me. When the scripture's clear. If it's narrow and wrong to say there's one true religion, then it's narrow and wrong to say that all religions are equal and lead to God. Does that make sense? There's one way to heaven and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. Point, period, that's it. I will tell people Jesus is the only way to be saved. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. You can tell I feel real strong about this stuff. I just think this is, this is where it's at. This is, we need this as badly as we needed last week. We need, we need to reclaim the boldness and the assurance that is neither unsophisticated, unwise, or unkind to preach a clear gospel that there is salvation in no other name. Jesus Christ is the only way through faith in him that anybody will ever make it to heaven, period. Sixth resolution. I will spend time with Jesus. Let me just say this. I understand that what I'm saying could offend people. And if you're here and you're offended, I can't apologize. This is true. This is right. And if you're checking out James River, you just have heard what we're about. This is, this is who we are. I don't mean that obnoxiously. I just I want to be clear. I don't want to fool anybody. It's who we are. We're passionate about reaching people for Jesus. We're willing to take stands. Kindness, you saw it last week. Hey, we'll speak to the issues of the day and do it as kindly and as carefully as we can. We're here, to, we're here 
to share the gospel straight up. We're here to reach people for Jesus. And that's, that's what it's about. We're here to pray for the sick and see them healed in Jesus' name. We're here to encourage people to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit because we need it. And we're here to spend time with Jesus. Verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. The word boldness, um, it's the same word, boldly approach the throne of grace. We find grace and mercy to help us in time of need in Hebrews chapter four, beautiful verse. It's the Greek word parhesia. It means to have the freedom to speak without reservation, to speak bluntly is the idea. Here's Peter and John, and, and they're not getting up and, and being obnoxious, but they're also not backing down. It's very, very interesting. I mean, they are clearly articulating an answer to the Supreme Court. And as the Supreme Court is watching this, these two uneducated men speak fluently about theology. And they hear them speak boldly and clearly and thoroughly and thoughtfully and graciously and kindly. The only thing they can conclude, look at this. They perceived they were uneducated common men. They were astonished. I mean, their jaw is just like hitting the floor. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Wow. People can tell when you've been with Jesus, right? One of my favorite verses in Mark chapter, is in, in the Gospel of Mark, is Mark chapter 3 and verse 14. He appointed the 12, that's Jesus, designating them apostles that they might be with him. Do you realize Jesus calls you because he just wants to be with you? He thinks that much of you. He's crazy about you. He knows you better than anybody else, and he loves you like nobody else ever could. He loves you. He wants to be with you and you to be with him, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. They were to be with him and then they were to witness for him. And the same is true for us. I wanna ask you a question. Are people astonished when they watch you live for Christ? Do they wonder how you can be so bold and yet so gracious? How you can be so kind in the midst of opposition or careful as you're, as you're answering them, but still answering them with clarity? Do they conclude it's because you've been with Jesus? I will spend time with Jesus. Are you walking close to Jesus? Let me ask you that. You're not walking close if you're not spending time with him. But are you walking close? And then we could go down a little list. I mean, if you want to be close to him, you, you have to do what he says. And that starts with giving your heart to him and then getting baptized. That's the next step after salvation. The couple said it beautifully. If you want to be close to Jesus, you need to be baptized in water. If you want to be close to Jesus, you have to spend time with him. You're, Listen, in, in life, we're close to the people we hang out with, right? That's how that works. 
It's no different with God. If, if you want to be close to God, you got to hang out with him. You got to read his word, spend time in his presence. And if you want to be close to him, you got a purpose that you want a relationship with him. And that's where you give your heart to Jesus or where you rededicate your life to him. Because that's where it all starts. And when you do that, he will take you on a journey that from start to finish is supernatural in every way. Listen, my heart is for the church to stand strong for Jesus. My heart is for you to know the grace of God on your life, to see miracles happen through you in the name of Jesus, to see you walking in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, to see you standing firm in opposition, declaring the truth to a world that may or may not want to hear it, but that desperately needs to hear it, that they might be saved. If you're new here today, this has a lot of the DNA of the church in it. This is who we are. It's what we do. It's what we're about.